We are on the second half with Oliver Vazakro, the an attorney from the state power of Michigan. She has co-authored uh, the Persella Network and Anthropology uh, with other 19 highly achieving women attorneys from all over the US. She's all fired up and exciting soul, and you 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 can't wait to hear from her. She's uh, a coach, a life coach, I should say. She is a coach in Portiki. And that will be the center of our discussion today in this, what I call the second half, because we've done an, an interview with her two weeks ago. So we, I'm so excited to have her here because she's a coach. I think I'll be coached today. And you as a listener, you will also be inspired of the work that she does. She does not just do a, a general coaching for everyone only, but she also specializes in coaching attorneys who feel overwhelmed, overworked. I had never heard of this before, where attorneys tend to coach other attorneys, but this mm -hmm. is creativity. Uh, this is exciting for me. Oliver, welcome to the Blossom of Thought. Thank you so much for having me. Good to be back. I'm excited for part two. I'm excited too. I, I know you already fired up. I, uh, I, uh, I read your messages uh, this morning when you were talking to your network on uh, LinkedIn. I was like, oh boy, she's so fired up. She can't Ready wait to, to go. be here. Well, let us begin with something that I picked up from your, post, your Facebook post. The yeah. hardest step she ever took was so blindly trust in who she was. Mm. This is Alicus. I don't know if I'm spelling that one right. What was in your mind when you put such philosophical thoughts? Yeah, you did your homework. I love this. So that Atticus quote sticks out to me. The hardest step she ever took was to blindly trust in who she was. Sticks out to me um, and really resonated for me at the time when I was making the switch from big law and really the practice of law itself, but deciding to go all in on me. And I really wrote about that in, in my chapter of networked, the transition of, I, I really took stock and made an assessment of my life. And the thing that I liked least was the lack of control I felt that I had over my future. And I was, I had left big law and I had gone back to a law firm that had some financial struggles and, you know, was a bit of a rocky road. And I really sat myself down and said, okay, in five years, if you stay here, will you have any more control? Will you be any more secure? Will you be any more grounded uh, than you are right this second? And the answer was no, I won't be. But I had the promise of like a paycheck right around the corner, even if it wasn't necessarily on time, like I always got paid eventually. Sometimes those pauses, you know, hurt a little bit more than others, but there was some security there versus leaving with no game plan and having no security. That was, it's a lot, right? And it's totally antithetical to the way that we're taught. Don't leave one job before you have another one lined up, mm -hmm. you know, build a side hustle first and, you know, scale it until you are like 50, 50. And then one, your income can replace the other. That's the really responsible way to go about doing, you know, building a business and going out on your own and being an entrepreneur. That's what people tell you. 
And I reached a point where everyone in my circle, my cousin and I talk a lot about this because she's in the very early stages of building her own business right now. We speak a lot about not listening to the opinions of other people who have not done what you're about to do, because they're going to give you a lot of scarcity mindset. They're going to give you a lot of worry and concern. And in all fairness, I understand and appreciate why they feel that way. They do it from love. They're concerned. They have all their own limiting beliefs on whether or not what you're about to do is going to work, but they don't have your passion, right? So they have all the fear, none of the passion. And that the reason that quote resonated with me is at the time that I found it, it was at a point where I was like, okay, in five years, if I do this thing on my own, if I build this business myself, if I become a coach and I lean all into that and I really go forward from there, will I have more security? And most people don't think of entrepreneurship that way, but I'm in an amazing circle of coaches who have had really remarkable success because they coach their brains and they keep taking action, gag and go. And I said, yeah, I'll have more success at the, I'll have more control. I'll have more security. I'll have more success at the end of five years. If I go out on my own now, I might struggle for longer to start. And I really decided that I would not quit, that if I was going to do this, I was going all in. And that, that, that was the only way that it would work is if I committed to it, feeling all forms of discomfort and really committing to the process of building a business, not knowing how to sell, not knowing how to market, not knowing how to brand, not knowing how to put myself out there, not knowing how to sign clients, not knowing how to do any of that. But if I immerse myself and let myself feel all forms of uncomfortable, that I would be able to create that really five-year vision of security, you know, substantial wealth and control. And the other part of this is that I decided to believe enough myself so that I didn't need anyone else's buy-in. And that's really the part of like the hardest thing she ever did was to blindly trust in who she was because people did not buy in. Like close people to me, family members, friends. They looked at me like, what do you mean you're not going to practice law? What do you mean you're leaving your job in big law? What do you mean? What do you mean? What do you mean? And bless their hearts. They were scared for me. I understand why I, I, I told no grudges. I'm not angry or disappointed in them. Like I really get it. And I recently posted about like, you don't need other people's support. Would it be nice to have? Sure. Like it would be lovely, but you don't need it. You can go do it, whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish, whatever it is that you're trying to do, you can do it without it. It'd be a luxury. It'd be delightful, but you don't need it. And I think I see so many people get caught up. Like my husband doesn't support my dream. My parents don't support what I want to do. And I used to be in that mindset, by the way, when I went to big law, I was really victimy like that of no one supporting me and it's no one else's job to it's our job to support ourselves. And I'm sure you've done that with this podcast, right? You have to believe in what you're doing enough to continue to take action every day, which is so beautiful. So that quote's really about that concept of me saying, here we go. It's, it's all in on you. You got to bring all the faith because I had like none of the knowledge. I had the coaching knowledge, but not the business building knowledge. And I said, the only way I'm going to learn is to do it and not do it well at first and to fumble. But if I trust, I I was like, I trust me. I don't half-ass things. I don't go, you know, partially in. 
I I'm proud of everything I do. I put a lot of thought and intention into what I do. It might not be perfect. So I was like, I'm going to trust me. It's going to be really uncomfortable, but I'm going to go all in. And I did. Oh, wow. That's a great story. That's a great story of how we shut out, how you shut out the noise outside mm-hmm. you and listen the voice to the voice within you. I think that is a, it requires a great courage to do that to listen to only one voice while there are so many voices out there that are always eh, going for mm-hmm. you, trying to, or everybody becomes clever when you have to make a decision. Everybody knows what you're supposed to do, what you are cut out for. Well, I, I want us to take a deeper, a deeper dive later on on that because that's one of the things that you have, you have mentioned that you would like to talk about to our audience because mm-hmm. the first thing is life is choices. That's what you will be talking about today. The second one, other people's opinions. So we'll be coming becoming it all relates right <laughs> yeah becoming 360 to that one and uh, the third one is your thoughts cause your feelings i think that's exciting one i can't mm-hmm. wait to get to the third one and the fourth one rest is a resource fifth the worst case scenario is missing out on the best case scenario those are the five things that we will be talking about today and if uh, Oliver goes beyond that, she will be, it will be out of the kindness of her heart <laughs> that she decides to inform us with more. Other jobs. Well, one of the things that you mentioned when you decided to leave the aspect of the law that you didn't like, I think it was big law. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, said, you, 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 you said, now I do what I love. And if I, was to, if I were to extend that, I would say, now I do what I love and love what I do. Mm-hmm. Tell us about that one. I totally agree with that. Uh, I do do what I love and love what I do. I, it's so funny. I tell people, this is a funny story from my dad, um, kind of picking up where we left off with like, we don't need other people's support. My dad does not understand coaching like to say that he does not get it. He doesn't under, he owns a collision shop. He does not understand that I coach people from my home office through a computer. He's like, have you met your clients before? I'm like, most of them know it's been a during like everyone I'm working with right now are mostly people I've met since COVID. So no, and he's it's like, so they like don't know you. Yeah. He just doesn't get it. And he's like, so how does he, he's like, you can't help people with all their, all of their problems. I was like, I totally can. He's like, you can't. And I'm like, give me a, for instance. And he explained him. He's like, okay, for instance, the summer, his project at home was to build a deck. It's like, for instance, you don't know how to build a deck. I'm like, you're totally right. I don't know how to build a deck. And he's like, so you can't help someone. Like if they were calling you, you can't help someone build a deck. He goes, what do you do? Like, do they call you with a problem? And then you go research how to do it. And then like, you call them back and coach them on it. I'm like, no, but you just described what a lawyer does for a living. (laughs) Like someone presents a problem and then you're like, I'm going to go research it. And then I'll get back to you. I'm like, that's actually what a lawyer does. I don't do that. I work on the mindset. People that are struggling with building a deck are probably thinking, I don't know how to do it. They're feeling confused and they're spinning in confusion. I work on that to help them figure that out. Right. And once I explained, I was like, you don't think that you don't know how to build a deck. You think you can figure it out. If I can help people get to the point where they think they can figure it out, they're going to feel confident and driven and motivated. And then they're going to go take different action. I'm like, I was like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. I'm like, "Uh uh-huh. I know what I do makes sense. It's okay. But it's funny when I started out being a lawyer, I really wanted to help people and especially in big law, but even with criminal 
criminal defense stuff, doing criminal defense work, you lose a lot. You lose the cases that you think you should win. I, I didn't, I felt like I was helping people, but like now I really feel like I help people. And that's the part about like, I truly like I'm doing what I love and I love what I do. I help people. I help people on a day-to-day basis with the, the smaller stuff and the big stuff, but like the stuff that their life is made up of all of the frustration, all of the disappointment, all of the guilt, all of the stress, all of the overwhelm, all of the anxiety. Like I remember what brought me to coaching was I just wanted to feel better. I wanted to feel less miserable on a day-to-day basis. And in the very beginning of my business, I was torn between, do people want help with time management or do they want help feeling better? And I was kind of like torn between what my messaging was going to be. And I work with a ton of people on time management. Don't get me wrong. But as far as a bigger umbrella, I really decided that I wanted to go with how to feel better because that's what resonated with me and brought me to coaching and the power of feeling better on a day-to-day basis. It's your whole life. You get your life back. So I think there's no other work that I was meant to do in the world, but this is how much I love it. Well, you've got a a model just right behind you, the model of your coaching. The model is circumstance, thought, feeling, action, result. Let us begin with circumstance. James Allen, a Victorian writer who writes the book, as a man think it in his heart, he says, Mm -hmm. circumstance does not make a man. It reveals him to himself. So let's dive into circumstance and what you teach. Yeah, so circumstances are always neutral. I love teaching the model to lawyers, especially because they have that lawyer brain that was taught to look at things from a multitude of different ways, right? So circumstances are facts that we would all agree upon where we can, you know, read words on a transcript that someone said, we can watch what someone's done. And I'll just back up very quickly to give credit where credit's due. The model was created by my master coach instructor, Brooke Castillo of the life coach school. Um, when I found stumbled upon her podcast and found the model in her work, my life totally changed. So I just want to give that mm-hmm. shout out to, to Brooke. Um, that being said, Circumstances are neutral. They're facts, data points, things we would all agree upon, things people say, things people do, events that happen in the world, described and explained in a completely factual manner. No qualifiers, no adjectives, no colorful, emotional words, okay? We are taught from a very young age that circumstances are not neutral. We're taught that they're positive or negative, okay? And we're taught that positive or negative circumstances directly cause how we feel. So Olivia, you have to apologize to Pilo. What you said hurt his feelings, right? The circumstance, the words that I said hurt your feelings. The very easy, you know, analogy or example. What's, what's actually true is that there's a thought sandwiched in between the thought, the circumstance and the feeling. Okay. Thoughts are just sentences that run through our mind that our brain serves up to us. Our thoughts aren't neutral. Our thoughts are positive or negative, and they are what cause our feelings. Feelings are just one word emotions like angry, sad, excited, frustrated, disappointed, guilty, worried, nervous, any, anything like that. Those one word emotions that we experience somewhere in our body. So we're taught growing up and really the huge crux of the model, which is why I love this mindset work is that it's not based on the action line because Circumstances are neutral. Thoughts cause your feelings, feelings drive your actions and actions create your results that you have in your life. And this will relate to the whole life is choices thing in just a second. But 
so much self-help and personal development work focuses on the action line without addressing the feelings that are driving the action or the thoughts that are causing the feelings. Okay. And a lot of times I hear from people when I talk about the neutrality of circumstances is like, that's just not true. Like there are truly inherently bad circumstances. And I know that's not not true. I do this work every single day with my clients. I've run enough situations through the model where every time you test this, you can always find a thought causing your feeling instead of the circumstance itself. And you can always find different ways to look at a circumstance. So you can always find multiple thoughts to think about a circumstance that will cause you to feel differently. The example I use with my clients all the time is I use two big, one big picture example, one really, you know, everyday example. Okay. My mom will call me and she will bless her heart. She's going to love that. I'm saying this on a podcast episode. My mom will call me and she will like, I answer the phone and she'll sound like a little huffy and puffy. And I'm like, Hey, what's going on? She's like, just got off the phone with my sister who would be my aunt. I'm like, okay, what's going on? And my mom will say, what she said to me was so rude. And my mom says it as though she's reporting the news, right? Mm. She thinks it's a circumstance. I know it's not. So I'm like, oh, okay. What'd she actually say? Right. And then my mom will, and I'll reiterate, are those the exact words she used? And she's like, yes, she said X, Y, and Z. I'm like, okay. So the circumstance is she said, and then you insert the direct quote. Okay. My mom's thought about it is what she said was rude. Okay. And when my mom thinks the thought, what she said was rude, my mom feels offended. All right. I don't feel offended at all. I feel mildly amused because every time these two talk, this happens. So I look at my mom, I'm like, I don't understand why you're offended. This happens every single time you guys talk. So my thought is not that it was rude. My thought is, of course, she said something like that. She does every time you guys talk. So I think, of course, and then I feel amused. Now, if we were to call my aunt up and ask her what she thought about what she said, I'd be hard pressed to believe that she would think what she said was rude, right? She would probably think that she was being direct and to the point. And based on thinking that thought, she feels justified. Okay. If circumstances, if it were true that what was said was rude, all three of us would have to feel the same emotion. All three of us would have to feel offended because we don't, we realize that there's something different going on in between, right? It's the thought that each of us think our thoughts are different. So each of us feels differently about that circumstance. You can apply this to every single situation, really drill down Ask yourself, would everyone agree that this is the circumstance? No adjectives, no qualifiers, right? Very factual. Like it's hot out is a thought. It's 86 degrees out. God, I wish it were. It's freezing in Michigan right now, but it's 86 degrees out is a circumstance, right? Some people think that that's perfect. Some people think that that's too hot and we'll all feel differently about that temperature based on what we think about it. The big picture example that I like, uh, and goodness gracious, the past year has given us so many big picture examples of neutral circumstances that we all feel differently about based on our different thinking. But I like to use 9-11 as an example. We could use COVID. We could use 
just the plain circumstance of the 2020 election that a lot of people have a lot of thoughts about and feel very differently about based on what they're thinking is. But I like to use 9-11 and the circumstance there. And the reason I like the big picture example is because a lot of people sometimes think the same exact thought. That doesn't mean that it's not a thought. That just means a lot of us are thinking the same thought that's causing our feelings. Okay. So for instance, 9-11, the circumstance there would be that people took airplanes and flew them into buildings on September 11th, 2001. Okay. That's the circumstance. People saw that with their eyeballs. If you were in downtown Manhattan, we watched it on the news. It was recorded. We can continue to watch play it, but it, it's a fact that that happens. The, we saw ground zero. It's a fact. If you live in the U S thoughts that you would think about that are, we were attacked. This is horrible. What a tragedy. Uh, this is so unfair. And you're going to feel really victimized, vulnerable, sad, maybe a little afraid. Like I, this could happen again, might make you feel afraid, right? Those are going to be the emotions that you feel based on how you're thinking. Now, this is a little bit of a bombastic example, but it's to prove the point of the true neutrality of circumstances. If you're a member of Al-Qaeda, you don't feel victimized, vulnerable, attacked, or sad, or, you know, devastated, right? You think that the U.S. deserved that based on their involvement in the Middle East and that it was successful and that we had this coming and you're going to feel vindicated, um, successful, proud, maybe, right? Very different, accomplished, very different feelings than if you're someone living in the United States thinking the thoughts that I just described, right? Feeling those negative emotions as opposed to these positive ones. So the only thing different there is our thoughts about what actually happened. So, so much of that is, we'll, we'll turn to thoughts cause our feelings. So many of us are going through life thinking that how we feel, A, is just like mandated because we think that the circumstances are inherently negative and that we just are forced to feel this way, like that it happens to us. We live at the effect of our circumstances because we see them as negative. Then we ultimately have no other choice, but to feel these negative emotions ourselves. And it leaves us, it strips us of our agency. It leaves us not taking ownership over our life. And it really puts us in this victim mode, right? Of like just taking things as they come, really indulging in a lot of this negative emotion, being blind to the agency and ownership that we can take in our own lives. And when you recognize, this was like, when I learned the model from Brooke, my whole life changed like in an instant, because especially for my people pleasers that are listening, so much of my life was spent thinking thoughts that were worrying about how other people would perceive me, react to me, judge me and like worrying about other people's opinions. So I was worried about that. And I felt really guilty and responsible for other people. And I didn't want to disappoint them. And then even with the stress, thinking all the thoughts that I would think on a daily basis about work, about work-life balance, about all my to-do list, about, you know, the assignment on my desk, about time entry, all the little, you know, minute things within my job, 
my, it wasn't the work that was causing my stress. It was my thoughts about the work that were causing my stress and noticing that and starting to see like, oh, when I think about things this way, I feel badly. When I think about things this way, I feel badly. What could I choose to think instead? And we really don't realize that so much of our thinking is erroneous. It's not true. We like to think that our thoughts are facts. They're not. And when you push people on this, when I push my clients on it, I'm like, is that true? Is that true? You know, one of the things I hear a lot is, oh, I don't want to do that. Or I hate my job. I'm like, is that true? It might be 70% true, but like there's 30% of you that doesn't hate your job because you're still there. So let's talk about that 30%, right? We speak in very black and white thought patterns, but recognizing that some of your thoughts aren't true and it's your thoughts that cause your feelings. We can change what we choose to think think in that instance. And I do that by asking three questions. First okay. one is, is this before, before we go into the solutions on how we, cause that was going to be my next question. I just want to oh, have a okay. bit of a comment there. And I like the way you are going on with this, uh, moving from just the problem that we face and then extending to how we can solve the problem. Cause that's really the question that everybody may have or everybody wants to, how do we solve the problem that we face? But I like the fact that you have mentioned uh, that you're talking about the neutrality of circumstance. Stephen R. Covey, the writer of Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, he says, it isn't what happens to us that affect our behavior, but our interpretation of what happens to us. You have just told us the story of your mom and how she was interpreting what your, your aunt was saying, and she was so <laughs> disturbed and unhappy because the view that we have taught by society is that what happens to us is really... I mean, Stephen R. Covey says it isn't what happens to us that affect our behavior, but our interpretation of what happens to Correct. us. So the problem is our interpretation. Yes. And, I, and I think that's what you are saying in a nutshell. And the yes. second one, oh, oh yeah, you, you want to come in, right? No, that's, that's exactly right. It's, so the interpretation is our thought, right? Yeah. So the circumstance, you know, to bring those two concepts together, the circumstance is what happens to us. Our thought is the interpretation of what happens to us and it's our thought our thought that interpretation that controls everything and there are the words that i like from uh, victor franklin i don't know if you've read a book called the men's search for meaning he was in uh, he was amongst the jews uh, who were in the concentration camp of the nazi uh, regime in germany in the during world war ii he was a survivor in fact he became one of the great psychologists and psychiatrists that the world has ever known because of what he survived the, the terrible uh, circumstances there so he 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 speaks about in, in fact he says this he says between stimulus which is what we've been talking about what happens outside ourselves stimulus and response response which comes from within between stimulus and response there is space in that space lies our power to choose our response. And in our response lies our growth and our freedom. And I think this is exactly what you're talking about right here, that we have got the stimulus out there, whatsoever happens to us. When it's cold, that's stimulus. And then what do you have to do? The response must always come from within you choose, because that's what you're talking about. Life is choices. Yeah. You choose from within what exactly your response should be because that's where the power is it's just right 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 mm -hmm. deep in your response 
and uh, I, I I like this subject and the way you 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 go about it. Do you have some thoughts on that? I do. So as far as the I love Viktor Frankl's book, by the way, I read it earlier this year or not earlier, 2021. I read it in 2020. And well, there's another thing that I'll bring up later um, about his thesis on suffering, which I think is just one of the most beautiful things I've ever read. But to the point of life is choices and what you're talking about on how, how you choose, how you respond, right? Everything that was one of the most powerful things that I really woke up to was that everything that I had in my life, all of the results I had in my life were the result of the choices, the cumulative result of all of the choices that I had made. And when you start to reverse engineer that just to see how much power you actually do have, you really start to wake, awaken to all of that agency that you have on a day-to-day basis that you, we tend to ignore or aren't aware of. So even the things that I didn't like in my life, like going to big law and being there and continuing to be there every day, I was still choosing that every single day, right? I see so many people that I work with choose marriages that they don't like anymore, but they choose it every single day or choose jobs that they don't like anymore, but they choose it every single day. And we are choosing to not choose something better for various reasons. I always like to say, just know and like your reasons. You get to choose whatever you want, but know and like your reasons. And rather than just living at the effect of your circumstances, recognize that you make a choice every single day to not change anything, right? You have the power to change, awaken to that and and own it fully. Mm. Now let's get to the real uh, uh, question of how do we, we find ourselves entertaining all these negative thoughts. And to me, that's natural. And you call some of the philosophers in history or some of the spiritual teachers, they will tell you, even Buddha, we are more, we gravitate towards thinking the negative and it's easy to do the negative. Even James Allen speaks about it. It's easy to do the negative things, but what is difficult, which requires character or which is character building is when we have to go against the current of the negative and choose the good. And that's difficult, uh, difficult for us. So how do we, you know, exercise the power that we have and shift from the negative thinking, the negative vibe, because the vibe is called by, it's, it's, it's caused by the thinking as you, you are saying, how can we uh, uh, redeem ourselves from such situation which we have brought to us? I mean, if we, which are self-caused in a sense. So... First and foremost, you have to become aware. I see so many people leave one thing from a state of blame. Well, it was that circumstance. It was that environment. Every, like those people were toxic. That firm didn't work for me. That relationship didn't work for me. Whatever the case may be, we leave things from negativity rather than really becoming aware as to what brought us there in the first place, how that was a result of all of the choices that we made and why we made them. So you always wanna start with awareness as to what created your current results. If you understand it, the good, the bad, and the ugly, you're less likely to repeat it again, okay? So for instance, for taking jobs, fully understanding why you took it, and then understanding like, what don't you like about it? I like to tell people to accept responsibility for their part in a negative work situation, Uh, or any situation whatsoever that you're ready to walk away from, Uh, accept responsibility, get into a place of appreciation. What were the goods force your brain to 
go against that grain, go against the current and focus on some of the positives too. And then from that cleaner place to be able to walk away, own, appreciate, um, and, you know, release. And once you have awareness as to what you, what made you made the choices you made in the first place, what brought you there in the first place, what it's probably going to look like is making decisions from a place of a lot of external pressure as opposed to internal desire. Okay. And you're absolutely right. Our brains default to negative because that protects us. Our brains love to do three things, maintain this in maintaining the status quo. They like to conserve energy, seek immediate pleasure and avoid pain, right? Negative thinking serves all three of those aims. So it's always going to want to serve up negative thoughts to get you to maintain the status quo. If you want to change the status quo in any ways, you have to do the opposite. You have to move closer towards discomfort and pain. You have to avoid and, you know, eliminate the need for that instant gratification of pleasure. And you have to expend energy, not conserve it. So to do those three things, you want to cultivate thoughts that drive you forward and you have to be willing to tolerate the discomfort, right? So I like to reverse engineer the model. You start with the result you want to create, decide what action you need to take in order to create that result. Ask yourself, how do I need to feel in order to take that action and be very specific with the action, like break that down, turn that into a whole paragraph, be really specific. How do I need to feel to take that action? And then what do I need to think in order to feel that way? And one of the things that you're going to come across in your action line probably will be to not listen or be swayed by other people's opinions to not care about what other people think so much of that external pressure that I just talked about comes from being concerned and worried about what other people think. And to go back to like the thoughts cause feelings in the context of other people's opinions, bringing those like two concepts together is that when I learned that I was responsible for my own feelings that it wasn't circumstances. It wasn't other people causing my feelings, what they said or what they did, what they didn't do or what they didn't say. It wasn't the external world, but my thoughts about it, that interpretation that we talked about causing my feelings. I had this aha moment, which was, if that's true for me, that means it's true for everyone else in the world, which means I don't cause their feelings. They cause their feelings with their thoughts. And like my brain exploded because I had lived my entire life people pleasing because I was worried about making other people feel disappointed. And then I finally realized I can't. Other people can feel disappointed thinking about things that I've done for sure. And they have, and they continue to. Like, that's totally fine. That's their model. That's their thought process. If they want to choose to feel, have expectations of me that I don't meet and they want to choose to feel disappointed, they totally get to do that. But it's not my burden to carry. Now, this isn't to say go in the world and be a jerk, right? I act in integrity with how I want to act for myself. I don't want to, I don't want people to feel disappointed. I go out of my way to do things that I think people would think good thoughts about, right? I don't. But when it comes to me disappointing myself versus me disappointing other people, so much of me used to focus on avoid disappointing other people before I worry about disappointing 
disappointing myself. And I've since flipped that. Now I'm like, your disappointment's your business. My disappointment's my business. And I'm not willing to disappoint myself just so you might not be disappointed because turns out we're not great at making other people happy because it's their own job. I, I like that. It reminds me of um, Einstein. Einstein, he said, uh, <clears throat> I'm trying to remember his words, actually. Uh, he spoke about the idea of higher level of thinking in order to resolve the thinking that we are at. Um, I'm, I'm trying to remember, I've forgotten his words. He says, oh, the significant problems we face cannot be solved at the same level of thinking we are at when we created them. The significant mm. problems we face, meaning the significant problems that have been brought by our thinking yeah. or feeling, cannot be solved at the same level of thinking we were at when we created them. In other words, it requires a higher level of thinking mm. to solve the lower level of thinking we are at. What will you suggest to our listeners on how they can raise their thinking to a higher level to solve the problem that they face, which are really significant most of the time? So two discrete things. One is to question your thoughts. So I like to do thought downloads. If you have a problem, right? A quote unquote problem, nothing. So that something is a problem is a thought in and of itself, right? There's cause not everyone would agree that certain things are problems. It might be a problem for you. It might not be a problem for someone else. Um, COVID, for example, not a problem for anyone who owns stock in Zoom, probably, right? That people are making a lot of money. But for most of us, it's been a problem. So first find the circumstance factually and then download your thoughts about it, okay? Next to each thought, thoughts are just sentences in your mind. Next to each thought, write down the one word emotion, the feeling that you feel when you think that thought. And now once we have that awareness, you're going to see very quickly through that thought download. And this doesn't take but a few minutes, spend five minutes, write down all your thoughts about the problem. See how those thoughts are making you feel. You're going to see which thoughts are really not serving you, right? Because if you're thinking a negative thought, you're going to have a negative feeling. You'll take negative action or no action at all. And it'll produce a negative result. So when you see negative thought, negative feeling together, you know that that thought's that thinking isn't serving you. So from there, take each thought and question it with these three questions. First, is this thought true? I'm going to give away the answer. It's a thought, which means it's an opinion statement, which means it's not true. It's just an opinion you have, right? So that starts to break up the affinity we have for some of this negative thinking, right? We start to see, oh, this is actually optional. Second question, why am I choosing to think it? And this goes back to your point about how our brain defaults to negative because negative thoughts protect us. They uphold the status quo. They have us revert inward, right? When we feel disconnected, our brain loves to choose thoughts that make us feel insecure or disconnected or left out because we revert inward, which is protectionist, right? Um, so why is my brain choosing to think this? How is it thinking that this is protecting me, even though it, it really isn't? So you answer that question and then you can see, oh, I get why my brain wants me to keep believing this, but I, I can choose differently. So from there, third question, what can I choose to think instead? 
what could I choose to think that would create the result that I want? Right. And that's that reverse engineering process. So questioning your thought is the first thing. The second is in order to think at a higher level, you need to be around people who think at that level already. And this might not be your family members. This might not be your friend group. That's okay. Some of my most influential people in my life thought are thought leaders who I've met once at a conference or twice at a conference, coaches that I've seen speak on a stage or speakers that I've never met before. Right. But they're thought leaders who think about things at a higher level than I do. And I want to immerse myself. So really be aware of your inputs. If you're thinking a lot of negative thinking, you're probably also surrounded by a lot of people thinking a lot of negative thoughts. So if you want to up-level your own thinking, you need to be around people who think at that higher level already. Awesome. I, uh, I, uh, I like both thoughts and the one of uh, making sure that the people who are around you bring the warmth so that you can be warm yourself when you yeah. feel cold. I like that because in the 60s, early 60s, I think um, there was a professor in Harvard who wanted to prove that very point that uh, somebody who's not doing well can do well when you change his environment, yeah. change his circumstances, change uh, the people that, you know, they say birds of a feather flock together. So mm -hmm. if you decide to take the bed from this flock and put it to another, that bed will take the pattern of the the, the the new flock so he took a boy who was not doing well uh, he was struggling and he put him amongst boys that were being successful doing well academically and stuff and that boy changed you know the idea was when somebody's not doing well oh he's not smart he's not that's society that's what it teaches us when somebody does yeah. not do well we want to give them a tag and a say all negative stuff, not realizing that everybody has the power within to become what we, what they want to become and what they've never even dreamt of as long as they persist on it, as they move on. So I was fascinated by that, that idea that you were mentioning uh, when I learned about the professor who did that, that really our environment does affect our thinking, mm -hmm. does can change the way we think about things. I can see that you are already boiling up. You want to jump into this. Please go ahead. This is your show. Yeah. So what happens there is like you're in a new, the circumstances change, right? But the circumstances don't cause the feelings. The circumstance he's mirrored, this boy is, you know, mirrored or surrounded by people who think at that higher level, right? Mm -hmm. So in this new environment, his thoughts change. Could he have been just as successful had he practiced that thinking before? Perhaps we won't know, yeah. Yeah. but for people that can't change everything overnight, right? You can change your thoughts, right? You can't change your circumstances, but you can change your thoughts. So a fun question to ask is like someone you look up to, what do you think they think every day? What do you think mm. they think about themselves? Like write down those thoughts, practice thinking them about yourself. What would the future you, I do this all the time. I have, I'm in so many conversations with my future self. You wouldn't even believe it. And I'm like, what would she think about this? What would she say? What would she do? What, how does her brain function? Right. The future me that has that higher level thinking that I don't even have yet. 
not to say that my thinking hasn't up leveled substantially, but I know me from four years from now or five years from now has so much wisdom that I'll accumulate along the way. But sometimes I check in with her. I'm like, what would she think about this? Oh, she would think it's no big deal. She would think this isn't even a problem. Move on. Mm. Uh, that makes me think uh, about the issue of change, you know, so which is part of what we are talking about. And I want to go back to the the ancients. One of them was a Greek, or the, you know, the he's he's referred to as possibly arguably the founder of Greek philosophy. His name is Socrates. I think you are familiar with the name. And he said, "You never change Indeed. things by fighting existing reality. To change something." build a new model that makes the existing reality obsolete. I love that. And he's not alone in that. A couple of centuries later, I think it was in England, Buckminster Fulster, he says, you never change things by fighting the existing reality. To change something, build a new model that makes the existing reality obsolete, which is pretty much the same as Socrates had said um, like 2,400 years ago. So these are words of wisdom. They are, they are timeless. They, they relate to us. You don't change what is the reality that you are facing. You just build a new model that makes the old one obsolete. Any thoughts on that? 1,000%. It's so <laughs> true. And think of it. How many of us go through our days fighting reality? A lot of people do. Arguing with what is. Mm-hmm. wishing, thinking, wishing that things would be different, thinking things should be different than they are. One of the first things I work on with all my clients is their should thinking because it leads to so much frustration and so much disappointment thinking that it shouldn't be this way. It should have been this way. Instead, this should have happened. This shouldn't have happened. All of that. Sh- he or she should have done this. They shouldn't have done this. Right. It's arguing with that reality which you can't control when you argue with that reality, you lose 100% of the time, as opposed to focusing on what you can control, which if the environment doesn't serve you either change your thoughts or leave it right. Going back to life as choices, what can you choose to do based on reality? Right? So for the Socrates model, this is what currently exists. This is the current reality. If you want, you can control to create something better. Totally. Exactly. As James Allen say, we do not get what we want. We get what we are. So yes. it's all about ourselves. We need to change our way of thinking. And when we become what we want, and then we, the universe cannot help. The life we live cannot help. We just give it to us. Wow. I, I think that's what I, I, I understand from the whole thing that you've been saying. But um, let us move into... Uh, the idea of uh, you, you. What was the the second point that we wanted to touch on? I think it's other people's opinions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have already touched on this. I'm sure that there may be some um, some thoughts that were left out in your uh, in your talking about. You were mostly referring to yourself. Probably you want to intertwine um, uh, with some examples from your life coaching or the attorneys that you coach. And, uh, you know, how uh, the opinions of others have distracted them and eventually they wouldn't achieve what they wanted to achieve. Or any one of your clients that you have coached and you found that they've had the difficulty of listening to the noise outside. Yeah. 
So I find people truly become crippled by what they think. And we're so worried about other people's opinions and we let it control our behavior so much, much to our own detriment, right? It stunts us. It, it causes us to not take action, to stay in inaction, to stay frozen, not to go about creating the life that we want because we're worried or concerned about what other people will think. So a couple things here. One, if that's you, if that sounds super familiar and there's like something on your heart that you want to go out and create in the world, or there's action you want to take that you don't think people are going to support, you're worried about what other people will think, what their opinions are of you, are, are of you. And people do this even without wanting to change anything. They just walk through life feeling like very heavy thinking that other people think thoughts about them. And I like to address this in a couple of different ways. Number one, what you, we don't know what other people think, even when they tell us that goes in their, like in their model, that's their action. Have you ever said something to someone that wasn't really what you were thinking? Yeah, I know that. I know that. Yeah. For sure. Right. Me too. So, and then we what, say, not the way it sounds. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, we hear what people say sometimes. Sometimes we're worried about what they're going to say and they don't even tell us. Right. But we're worried about what they're going to be thinking. We don't ever know what they're going to be thinking. And that makes some people uncomfortable, but it's like the best news I have for you that the, Opinions you're worried about people having, you're probably never going to know about because they're probably not going to tell you. B, whatever opinions people do tell you isn't necessarily what they actually think. People might say some negative comment because they're worried because they think it won't work, right? Because they think that that's, you know, too risky of a decision. It doesn't mean that you're not capable of accomplishing something. They're just worried for you. So we never truly know what people are thinking, but yet we worry constantly about other people's opinions. When we do this, I like to walk people down a couple of different roads. Number one, figure out who your they is. Be really specific because our brain likes to be a little bit vague and amorphous with, well, I'm worried about what other people will think. Who's the other people? Is it your mom? Is it your friend? Is it your ex? Is it that former colleague of yours who was a jerk that, you know, you always felt insufficient and inadequate around who is it the person you have you know a crush on whatever whoever that is it your sister or your older brother who you know has always looked down at whatever the case may be figure out who the they are sometimes it's former co-workers you know collectively figure out who the they are and then start to identify what do you think it is that they they'll think write that all down Spoiler alert, those are all your own thoughts about yourself. It's you projecting your own negative thinking onto other people. And it's much easier for us to access it. But you, part of you believes those things. If you didn't, you wouldn't be worried about whether or not they think it. It would be like if someone said to me, Olivia, you, I can't stand your blue hair. Like, I would not take offense to that. I might think that they're like high on drugs or, you know, have color revision issues, but I wouldn't take personal offense to that. My hair's not blue. My hair's brown. So I'm not going to, like, that's not going to make me feel any certain way. I would just think that they're clearly mistaken or they're confused. So when our emotional state changes, 
when we're thinking about what other people think, we're buying into it with our own negative limiting belief as well. So I like to identify what those thoughts are and then go through them one by one and start to see how am I actually believing this about myself? And do I want to continue to believe that? Go through those three questions that I went through before. Is it true? Uh, why am I choosing it? What could I choose to think instead? From there, I like to pick one or two paths, one of two paths on deciding what you're going to do about these other people's thoughts. One is you can decide they're probably not thinking that and that I don't know if they're thinking that and that I'll never know if they're thinking that because even when people, even if they were saying things to me, they could be saying something that they don't actually think that doesn't match. So the truth is that what people think about me will always be a mystery. I will never know. And I'm just going to choose to think that like, they're not thinking that. And I don't, I I'll never know and go about and carry on about my business. That's one, one route. Typically I find that with my clients that doesn't make them feel better. So I move to the other case, the other scenario, which is let's assume they do. Now what? There's so much control and like worrying about what other people think of you. Like if you just go there, firmly plant yourself, you know, sit down, cross your legs and like, just immerse yourself in the fact that like, maybe other people think negative thoughts. What are you going to do about it? You get to let it be the reason you don't do anything different, that you don't take any action, that you stay exactly the same, that you, you know, continue to stagnate totally. Or you can say, oh, you can drop all your worry that they're thinking that about that, uh, that about you. Just assume that they do think that about you and be like, do I like that? Remember going back to no one like your reasons. Do I like me not taking action being because they think that, right? Do I like me not taking action because I feel embarrassed because they think that it's what I'm doing stupid or that it'll never work. Cause typically I, I feel the other, when it comes to taking new action and putting yourself out there, we avoid feeling embarrassed. And like, do I like fear being my reason? Do I like embarrassed being my reason that I don't take action? And typically I find people once they clue in on that, they're like, no, I don't really like that reason. Yes, so. And speaking about fear, Stephen Arkovi says, feel the fear and do it anyways. Oh, yes. in, another, in, in, a, in another book, I think he says, do not let fear make decisions for you. You make them. So I like that, that idea of fear, that sometimes our... We, we don't act, we are paralyzed by what other people will say and we don't act and we allow fear to rule our lives. You know, fear has been a problem for all centuries. As long as right. man has lived, there's always been fear. If you go to the, the uh, uh, to sacred literature, you'll find in the Bible that somebody will come as an angel and then somebody will freak out because this is a, a whole new being that they've never seen. Yeah. All the great thinkers, when you read them close, you realize that they had to deal with fear, but we feel the fear and do it, uh, do it anyways. But I want to go back to also to the same idea that you're speaking about, about the noise that you hear from other people, and then you end up not following the inner voice. Yeah, as a matter of fact, um, uh, Steve Jobs, uh, the founder of, of Apple, I still have his quotation here that speaks about closing out the noise outside and says, your time is limited. 
So don't waste it living someone else's life. Don't be trapped by dogma, which is living with the results of other people's thinking. Don't let the noise of others' opinions drown out your own inner voice. And most important, have the courage to follow your heart and intuition. They somehow already know what you truly want to become. Everything else is secondary. To me, I, I think that sums up the whole thing we've, we've been talking about, about the noise outside and how important it is to follow the voice within. Is there any other experience that you have had other than just uh, the issue of choosing your career where you had to follow intuition, where you had to follow your heart and you were right and did not listen to the noise of other people's opinion. This is not to suggest that other people, they always have good noise. There's no wise, uh, wise thing that they can say or advice. We all get advice from other people one way or the other, but at the critical stage, I think this voice inside can never be wrong. No, I agree with you. I, I've had to tune in and really listen a couple of times. One, I'm walking away from a, a very long-term relationship. Um, actually two, two different relationships where like I had to listen, it was hard for me to walk away cause I didn't want to disappoint anyone, but between that battle of disappointing other people and disappointing myself, I knew in my gut that it wasn't right for me and that I'd rather be alone than to continue to choose something that ultimately wasn't the result that I wanted to create in my life. Um, I also encountered that happening on a, a case a while back where it was my client. I had a very strong opinion of what we should do moving forward. And two men that I worked with that were more senior than me strenuously disagreed with what I wanted to do. And they didn't think it was a big enough client and that we should just settle. And I didn't agree with them at all. And I ended up being really outspoken and was willing to not be liked for it. And more to the, the dreams and the, I think that's one example of this where like you have a knowing inside of you and you can follow your gut and let it be okay that other people don't like it. But in the, on the front where it comes to goals and dreams and really creating that life that you're obsessed with, which has really been my goal the past couple of years, creating a life that I'm obsessed with. And I'm really living in that now is recognizing the concept of, and like, this is what really comes into putting those voices on mute is that they can't be happy for you. It might make them happy for you to do a certain thing. Like that goes against that knowing that internal voice, that intuition, it might make them happy, but it makes them happy for them. It doesn't make you happy. Like they can't be happy in your place. So if you're betraying yourself in order for someone else to be happy, like you will never find fulfillment there. They can be happy for about you for them, but they can't be happy for you. So when we go about making it our business to make other people happy and listen to the noise so that they can, you know, feel comfortable with what you're doing, we do it as a disservice for ourselves. I just read a quote by Glennon Doyle about, I'm paraphrasing here, but that when you have, when you're presented with that choice and you abandon what it is you want for the sake of someone else to make them happy instead, that you create a war within yourself, inside of yourself. 
And I very much agree with that. I think a small miniature war start gets created and starts to grow and grow and grow. And eventually it will call you to attention at some point. Um, that's definitely been my experience. Um, uh, I like the idea of the war that happens between, you know, the thinking and uh, what we feel mm -hmm. because some things they are logically, logically make sense. Oh, well, this is the right thing to do. But there is some voice that knows better that comes seemingly through the heart and is telling you otherwise. Mm -hmm. And if you don't follow it, I think that's where we create the war yeah. because we have our inner being telling us what we are about and what we should be doing. And uh, some of the restless uh, uh, people, most of the time, uh, are so because they keep on denying the voice within, which is telling them what their purpose is, why they're here. As somebody once said in the 60s that everybody is born with, with his or her own work. Nobody is born without a purpose. Nobody is born without their work. I think you were born with your work being a, a coach and <laughs> mingling that with being a, a, an attorney and bring the reasoning uh, you know, as an attorney, you have to be logical. You have to yes. <laughs> try and deal with facts. But at the same time, you have to deal with universal laws that have, you know, unchanging and unchangeable, or others will say even immutable, because everybody who exercises or who lives by those laws, they give them the result, the same results. So that's what we find. But I want us to move uh, next to the other subject that you talk about. Rest mm -hmm. is, a is a resource. I once read a book by uh, Aristotle. It's called The Nekomakian Ethics. He says, play so that you may be serious. Just take us through that. <laughs> so I used to be a devout naysayer of rest. I hated sleeping, hated it. If I could have found, I tried my hardest to find a way to live without it. For a very long time. Um, I abused Adderall for a very long time in order to sleep as little as possible and to work constantly. And I really started addressing my relationship with rest over the past couple of years. Um, I now no longer take any substance uh, to keep me awake or anything like that. But I, and I live a life completely free of Adderall, but I, had a thought. So back to thoughts, causing everything. My thought about rest was, I wish I never had to do it. I wish I could just never have to sleep. And what's so funny is that I've since learned that there's a huge difference between sleep and rest. Now I prioritize both, but a very good friend of mine, fellow coach, Kelly Campana really taught me about rest. And she met me when I was still overworking and like in the hustle world and up all night and just go, go, go on, on, on. And she never judged. She just like planted little seeds in my brain about like, make sure you're getting rest. Like rest, you know, is this resource that will give you all of this, um, all this innovation, ingenuity, power, like put you in touch with that knowing that you were just talking about, which I'm going to talk about in a second but she just kept like talking about how marvelous rest was and like how marvelous sleep was. I'm like, she's wrong clearly, but she just kept modeling it for me. Just kept modeling it for me being an example of what was possible. And then finally, uh, I had listened to a Ted talk about the carcinogenic effect of sleep deprivation. 
And that rocked my world. I was still smoking at the time. So like you would think that like carcinogenic, anything wouldn't like really bother me, but for whatever reason, it really did. I was like, wait, I know smoking's bad for you. I know smoking's carcinogenic, but like, what do you mean this whole sleep situation? I know it's not good in the long term, and I probably look tired and I'm aging more quickly, but like, what do you mean it's carcinogenic? It was like this huge wake up call for me. And I was like, okay, wow. I really need to address the way that I rest and, and sleep. So I started diving into it and I finally decided the Adderall was no longer serving me. It was making me really unproductive and decided to cold Turkey, stop taking it. It's not a pleasant experience, but I got off of it and totally transformed my relationship with sleep. I started sleeping regularly, no more all nighters and rest hadn't come in yet. So I hosted last summer, a five-day event, uh, a virtual summit called Thrive in Five. And I asked Kelly to come speak for me. And I said, you changed my life with planting all these seeds about how beautiful and lovely sleep is. I want you to speak about sleep. People need to change their sleep mindset. And she's like, oh my God, I love you, but no. And I was like, excuse me, <laughs> like, what do you mean? No. And she's like, I'll speak about rest. Rest. She's like, rest is more important. Rest comes first. She's like, you can never fully sleep if you don't know how to rest. And I was like, oh, you just said the same thing. She's like, I promise you, I didn't. I pro- I'm like, cause I was like sleep and rest are the same thing. She's like, I promise you they're not the same thing. I'll speak about rest. And I was like, I think you're magnificent. You speak about whatever you want to speak about. I am obsessed with her speech that she, her presentation that she gave, which is still available on Vimeo. If anyone Googles Thrive and Five. You can go and find Kelly and look her up. She's magnificent. And she totally changed my view upon rest. And I used to be a person who consumed like crazy, like content, podcast episode after podcast episode after podcast episode, YouTube video after YouTube video, just like trying to learn all of the things, reading, just voracious consumption. And what I've since realized as I've started to implement rest is that you have so much wisdom in your own brain, right? That knowing that you are disconnected from because you live in a very noisy world because your mind is not at rest and true rest as Kelly has taught me is in not doing anything, not a guided meditation, not, you know, listening to something or like you know, watching something and relaxing, rest and relaxing are not the same thing. And to truly rest your brain, like to sit for 20 minutes and just do nothing to just be with yourself. And this is why we get such wisdom and insight in the shower. Or, uh, I tell people that I do this now and they die. This wouldn't qualify as Kelly's version of rest. Cause it's doing something. Wow, but I drive in pure silence now. I always used to have to be either on the phone, listening to something, all of the, you know, all these things. And I li- I drive in pure silence now because I'm like getting in the car. My parents live quite a ways from me. So I've got like almost an hour whenever I go to visit them. I'm like, what's your brain gonna give you today? Like, what are we gonna learn? And people that feel disconnected from that internal voice, from that knowing inside of them my suggestion to them is always mute the inputs for a little bit, get quiet 
And if you can't sit with yourself, cause that's typically what I hear most often is like, that's really uncomfortable. Like, great. Do it anyways, do it anyways. And ask yourself why, why is it uncomfortable for you to be with yourself, for you to sit with yourself? It should not be. And if it is there, your, your work is there in learning how to be with yourself and learning how to not needing, learning how to not need to distract yourself from yourself. If that makes sense. I like the idea of, uh, you know, be contemplative and uh, allow yourself to, you know, not think about the surroundings or listen to things, watching something or be on your phone. Avoid all that noise because that's noise. And, you know, when it comes to photographing, they usually speak about when there's more light, that's noise. They usually still refer to that mm-hmm. as noise. So there's all this noise that is taking our attention and we are not able to t- turn inward. And in, in fact, there are two centuries that are celebrated in the history of the world, the 6th century BC and the 1800s, because it, it produced some of the great thinkers that the world has ever seen. And why made them? what made them to be the great thinkers? Because they were men of contemplation. They were men of prayer, meaning which is just the idea of turning within. When you go 600 BC, you have got the so-called seven wise men of the 6th century BC. We've got Thales in Greece, we've got Pythagoras, we've got Buddha, we've got Confucius, Solon, the founder of Greek democracy, and the, you name them. In the 1800s, we've got Rafaldo Emerson and, and, and many others in, in the US that you find in the 1800s. They seem to have founded the thinking today that we, we, we celebrate or the intelligence, the wisdom. When we talk about the words of wisdom, you go back to those centuries, you find the tons and tons of what controls our thinking today. So I, I, I like that idea of being contemplative and turning within uh, ourselves. It, it helps a, a great deal. Well, I don't know if you still have something else to say about uh, play so that you may be serious as Aristotle will say. Otherwise, I would want us to move to the last part. Just that as far as play, so you can be serious, plan for it. Mm. We have this huge like entitlement that life should be spontaneous and the fun should just come. Like plan your play. Be intentional about it. Most people think that it should just come naturally and that the only thing that they actually plan is work. And then your life consists and is consumed of work, right? So make time for all of it. Uh, Even start with play as my, one of my coaches suggests, she's like, start with play, start with downtime, plan your rest and your relaxation and your personal time and your enjoyment, plan that first and then put work in rather than vice versa, which is typically what people do. Yeah, and I think that's why there's been the tradition of going on a vacation to ease out, go out and play golf. And then the professional usually call, call that, uh, is it a buffer zone or, or something like mm-hmm. that, where they, they decide that on Wednesday, I'll just have a half day at 12, I'm done, I'm going to play golf. And that's where all the brilliant ideas uh, come to their mind and they're able to expand their businesses because they're at a relaxed mode, not always stressing. I know that from experience. When I'm always stressing, trying to see what what exactly can be done and trying to think that I'm learning something because I'm reading this book after this book, another YouTube video or a podcast or whatnot, there is no time for turning to the wisdom of the ages, which is within, not Mm -hmm. without 
because some of the great thinkers, they tell us that all power comes from within. Yes. And that's fascinating. Uh, I don't know if you've had an experience where you realize that really all power comes from within. Everything else out there is a product of thought, is a product of what comes from within us. One of my... One of my coaches, um, I shouldn't say one of, both of my coaches really drill home the concept that your thoughts create your results, right? Which means that all of your power comes from within because you control your thinking and your thinking comes from within. Um, but really I had a moment one day, like it, everything, it just clicked for me. And it was in the very early days of my business when I was like still struggling to put myself out there. I was really, uh, I'm glad you brought this up because I did want to bring up one thing um, and this will help me get there. I was really uncomfortable. I felt awkward about putting myself out there. I felt awkward about marketing myself. I felt awkward and, and nervous and afraid and scared and you know worried about being embarrassed and worried about it not working and worried about all of it, right? Just worried and fearful and intimidated and uncertain and unsure, all that fun discomfort. And I finally had this wake up call where two of my coaches who I think are, they're brilliant, brilliant women, Brooke Castillo and Stacey Bayman are two of my coaches. And I just, I'm in awe of their brilliance, but at the same time, I don't think they're smarter than me. I don't think I'm smarter than them, but I don't think that there's like anything inherent in them that makes them better than me. And I started to see all of these other coaches within like this coaching community, community that I'm in who are having immense success outside of just Brooke and Stacy. And I didn't think they were smarter than me either. I don't think I'm smarter than them or better than them either. I just think we're all on like humans are humans and we're all on the same playing field. And I was like, what's the, what's the secret sauce? What's the difference? What's the different differentiating factor that they're able to be doing this and that I'm not there yet, that they're seeing this immense success. And I'm not there yet that they're putting themselves out there and I'm not there yet. And it just like flash bomb off in my head. And it was that they were willing to feel all the negative emotions that I wasn't willing to feel. They were willing when they got started to feel scared and worried and nervous and embarrassed and unsure and uncertain and insecure and inadequate and take action anyways. And I was like, oh, that's all I have to do. I just have to feel like death. <laughs> like I have to feel super uncomfortable. And like those two, that coupled with my decision to not quit, just to stick with this business until I made it no matter what that with like, I will, I'll feel every negative emotion and I'll learn because I'm smart. I, I will get good at marketing myself. Eventually I will get good at branding myself. I will get good at selling what it is that I sell. Like, but I'm willing, I have to be willing to be bad at it and feel all the forms of discomfort along the way in order to get there and to not quit. Those two decisions were really powerful together. And that was when I really awakened to the idea that I am in complete control. It's only my thoughts that I'm thinking and the feelings that I'm willing to feel. 
if there's no emotion that I'm unwilling to feel, there's no result I can't create, which is so powerful. And the thing that I wanted to add that I'm happy that we got to with this is more than anything, the problem I see between clients is that and I don't like this word because it has a negative connotation to it. And I don't mean it in a pejorative way, but people across the board are extremely entitled to feeling comfortable almost all of, if not all of the time. And the second you drop your entitlement to being comfortable, your entire world will change. And I really love the, you brought this up earlier of like, if you're willing to feel the discomfort, right. And, and go, if you're willing to feel fear and do it anyways, if you're willing to feel afraid and do it anyways, if you're willing to feel any negative emotion and do it anyways, if you're willing to feel disappointed and stick with whatever it is you're doing, if you're willing to feel discouraged and stick with it, if you're willing to feel afraid and do it anyways, if you're willing to feel nervous and do it anyways, if you're willing to feel anxious and do it, do it anyways, if you're willing to feel inadequate and do it anyways. If you're willing to feel bored or bothered and do it anyways, I get that a lot with my procrastinators and you drop that entitlement to feeling comfortable and you just embrace all of that discomfort that I just explained and just stated your whole life will change. I love the phrase. I use this with my clients and in my business all the time, gag and go like, is the discomfort going to feel, you know, make you nauseous. And is the idea of moving forward in spite of, and despite the discomfort, going to feel awful, make you sick to your stomach, queasy a little bit for sure. Gag and go do it anyways, feel it, do it anyways. Mm. Seems like I'm going to go back to the issue of fear because when I started the podcast last year in the midst of COVID-19, I felt so much fear because uh, yeah. I needed to put out there and tell people that I'm having this idea and going to, uh, you know, let it roll and this is how I'm going to go about it. I'm like, ah, I'm not the person who advertise. I'm not the person who goes out in, on uh, Facebook and say, this is what I'm going to do. You know, all the fear comes in and you feel like what would people say as we've been uh, talking about it. Yeah. Uh, that was paralyzing and I almost never acted. But obviously having these words in my mind, feel the fear and do it anyways. Uh, Joseph Campbell said, uh, uh, what did he say? He said, the cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek. Oh, I so love I that. always think about that one. That makes me act. The cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek. And it seems like it's always true that the time you fear to end, I mean, the time you fear to act, you are fearing to enter the cave that holds the, uh, the treasure you totally. seek. Yeah. To Tony Robbins has a quote um, that really has stuck with me. It's a very simple quote. If you can't, you must. Oh, I think I remember last time when we were talking, you mentioned that. Oh, yeah, yeah. that's a lovely one too. And it's so, for me, it's so powerful. So whatever, I'm like, I can't do that. I'm like, damn it. <laughs> yes, we must now. Yes, we have to do it. Yeah, okay, I like it. <laughs> this is the new goal. No, I need to commit that to my memory too and add. That's a, that's a nice one. Well, the worst case scenario is missing out on the best case scenario. Let's talk about that one because I do have some thoughts on that, some of the wise ones. I like the, the wise people and how, you know, and they pattern our thinking and they pattern how we, we should live in harmony 
with the moral laws of the universe. Take us through the worst case scenario, missing out on the best case scenario. So I got this from my coach, Brooke, and she, she really made me change. Like, and for the warriors out there, I think it makes you change from that fear-based model that we were just talking about mm. to a place of possibility. Mm. And so we always think in our heads, especially lawyers, goodness gracious, they are bred to worry. Law school teaches it to them, right? constantly issue spotting. What could go wrong? What could go wrong? What could go wrong? And we like to think of the worst case scenario being like whatever devastating, awful, you know, consequence would come of what happens. And I don't like to think of it that way. That's like the second worst case scenario, but that's not the main worst case scenario. The worst case scenario is you not taking any action and missing out on whatever the best case scenario would be right. Of you not entering the, the worst case scenario is, the cave holds the treasure. There's nothing all that scary inside. And like, you don't go in and get it right. That's the worst case. That's the true worst case scenario. Right. We like mm-hmm. to think of, um, like, oh, we'll fail. And that's the worst case scenario. No, the worst case scenario is that you, it would have worked. You would have made it work that it would have been great. And that you never found out that you never took it. So I'm very committed to avoiding those worst case scenarios and just taking the action. Gag and go. Do it anyways. Do it anyways. That's the way to go. I think you love these words by uh, Henry Frederick Emier. I do. He who is silent is forgotten. He who does not advance falls back. He who stops is overwhelmed, outdistanced, crushed. He who ceases to grow becomes smaller. He who lives off gives up. The condition of standing still is the beginning of the end. I'm sure you love this because that's exactly what you're saying. I do. I completely agree with it. I think people don't take action because they're buying into the fallacy that it's safer. And I always push people really be clear on do you mean safe or do you mean stagnant? Mm -hmm. Because safe and stagnant look a lot alike. But when we think about like, oh, staying the same, not taking the action, actually it just keeps me stagnating. Like think of the pond, right? Like the still water that's not moving. That's like really icky that you wouldn't step into. Like that's your life if you're not changing. Always be growing. I also find, and I'd love to know if you can relate to this. Mm -hmm. um, And it's funny. It's something you said to me really early early on, I think before we started even recording today about your dual passions that, you know, the law isn't enough that you wanted, you know, to be growing in another way. And I think the most satisfaction in life, so many people that I work with are constantly striving to feel content and they think content is a destination that there's a there Mm -hmm. where everything is better. And what I tell people, like, there's no there, there you'll get there and your brain's going to want more. Your brain's going to want something else, kind of like the horizon effect. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And a, if you know that you won't be disappointed when you get to the there and you find out there's no there, there you're like, Oh, of course I want something new by now. Of course. I thought it was going to be so exciting. And of course I'm a little underwhelmed. Right. But 
to recognize that the most satisfaction, the most reward comes from the pursuit of a goal. And when you recognize that, like the times you felt the best or the times you felt most motivated, isn't when you've accomplished it, Mm -hmm. it's en route to accomplishing something. So to always know, oh, in order to feel that fulfilled, in order to feel that motivated, that grounded in a pursuit of something, I need to always be growing. I need to always be striving. I need to always be expanding rather than staying small, staying safe. You're either growing or dying, right? Expanding or shrinking. Yeah, as, as Emerson say that go as far as you can see. And when you get there, you shall see further how far yeah. you can go. And uh, he was, uh, I think, complimented by um, who's the civil rights movement leader in the 60s. I think it's uh, Martin Luther King. He says, take the first step in faith. You don't have to see the whole staircase. Just take the first step. I totally agree with that. That's so powerful because so many people, especially if they crave certainty, they crave control. They want to see the whole roadmap. You have no idea what's on the roadmap. And you, the best news is you don't need to know what's on the whole roadmap. It will become apparent as you continue to proceed first, but you have to be willing to take those few initial steps, not seeing everything. And uh, a lot of the people that have developed the world the way we see it today, they went against the facts, what has always been done. They listened to the voice inside and it just kept on telling them where to go, how far to go. And eventually we find ourselves flying the air like birds, swimming the ocean like fishes because of people who followed the voice within. It has never been done. We've never seen people flying in the air, the, the aviation industry through the Wright brothers. And those who came up with the submarines and the the titanics of this world, that's never been seen before. Those who speak in ancient world, when they try to see in a vision, see us living today, if you go scripturally, Isaiah seems to speak about, you know, he has difficulty speaking about what he sees in the future because he's trying to describe a train, something that wasn't in his time. Mm. So he's trying to describe, you know, an aeroplane and he talks about an arrow, these things that move like an arrow, because it was not done. It, 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 it had never been done at that time. Not that it yeah. couldn't be done at the time he was living. It could be done at that. It could have been done then, but there's just the people were not inspired enough to, to bring it about. So those great men and women who have developed us in the world and make life so easy, they have gone totally against the facts, what the facts are saying, how it has always been done. Because one of the things that have delayed our development, our progress, is just trying to follow the way it has always been done. Do you have an experience in your life, uh, just to sum up, where you you find yourself caught up in doing what has always been done, but you have to break away, just like these great thinkers that uh, uh, I was just speaking about, break away from the norm, from what, how it has always been done. As a matter of fact, I hear that the Wright brothers uh, were like your father. Uh, I mean, the father of the Wright brothers were, were, was like your father, who, who said when they presented the idea that they can fly the air, he said, you're going to burn in hell for ever <laughs> considering that idea. Yeah. So do you have that experience other than that with your father, some other experience where you had to break away from the norm? Yeah, I think... 
couple of different ways. Um, one, I, I bartended all through, this is probably not the typical answer here, but I bartended for a really long time all through undergrad and some of law school. And my parents didn't really care, but a lot of people that I knew in my family, I come from kind of a, I wouldn't even say that we're a conservative Italian family, but the elders had some opinions about it, that it was like lowly. And I was like, that's great. I don't care at all. You make a lot of money. And it's one of the best things that I've ever done. It really taught me so much of my ability to speak with people and to be myself and to let my full personality come out came from working in a bar and bartending and being engaged and interactive with people so much of that. So, so I am really grateful for that experience, even though a lot of people I knew had their negative opinions about it. Um, the biggest one though, would be in choosing to leave big law and a lot of people just thought I should have stayed or leaving the practice of law in general. I still get a couple people. They're like, what? You have to keep practicing. And I'm phasing out my legal practice to be able to just coach 100% of the time, which I'm very close to doing at this point, but I'm wrapping up those loose ends right now. And I still get pushback from people. They're like, no, you have to be a lawyer. You have to be a lawyer. And I'm like, I don't have to be a lawyer. I don't. And I don't see it as like me walking away from anything or like giving up on anything. I see it as like my time in the legal world is complete. Like nice little bow tied on it. It's complete. Follow your passion. Exactly. And for for the longest time, that was my passion. Right. And I lived it, it might have ended up looking different than what I thought in my early twenties, it was going to look like that's okay. I thought that I was going to spend like 40 years doing that thing. Turns out I didn't, I spent a little under a decade doing it right between four years as a law clerk and several years as an attorney. I, I spent the exact right amount of time that I was meant to do that, doing it. And now it's time for me to do something else. But I do get a lot of, you know, going against the grain. What? <laughs> You're doing that instead? I'm like, yeah. And there, people think it's weird. I'm like, you'll figure it out. You'll catch up. Yeah, I think that happens to all of us. I went through law school in Southern, in Africa. And there was something that I always gravitated towards. And it was like coaching. I, I, I always struggled to come back from school and study the law. I always went to these spiritual literatures or so-called motivational literature. I always, you know, find myself doing that, doing that. And I could feel a sense of some renewing spirit rising from within. And I'm like, oh, maybe I should do this thing. I think that's why today, we, as we are having this conversation, less about the profession of law, but more about self-development, motivation, all stuff like that. We seem like we are vibrating at a certain level. We, we are enjoying ourselves. And I knew that uh, law is just the way that um, I choose, I've chosen to go to law school. I think we all you know, follow the tradition and uh, do what uh, it's, it's in front of us. We choose engineering, you choose to be a lawyer. 
I had a guest last week here. He was speaking about intuition. I think that's the, his whole focus. He says he, you know, when he grew up, I think it might have been India. He, the idea is that there are three best professions: is either go to medical school, to become a lawyer, become an engineer. So it's one of those, one of those three. So we yeah. all get trapped into the way it has always been done, mm-hmm. and then not move in the direction of what the heart tells us. As a matter of fact, Victor Franklin said, everyone has his own specific vocation or mission. Everyone must carry out a concrete assignment that demands fulfillment. Therein he cannot be replaced or nor can his life be repeated. Thus, everyone's task is unique as his specific opportunity to implement it. I think your work is unique. You have chosen uh, the right path because you are following the heart. Emerson said, if you speak from the heart, you speak to an eternal audience and you are speaking from the heart. Do you have any wrapping up thoughts before we we, we go? Um, I, I don't, I don't, you just, I don't want to ruin that perfect ending. You brought circled back to the point that I had mentioned earlier about, cause it's that part of Victor Frankl's book where he's talking about every single person's life experience, even their suffering is unique to them. And mm-hmm. I think just that reframe of like, that's so beautiful, even the bad stuff that it's all part of this beautiful human experience and no one else can fulfill it, but you, there's no one who will ever live your exact life and vice versa for all of us. And like sit in that, that's everyone's rest goal today. It's like spend some time just sitting and being still with like how beautiful that is. No one's had, you know, they're the same first job with the same boss as you and the same, you know, first date and the same car, uh, like that you drove down your street and the same great day, like, you know, first big accomplishment, like no one's had that, the good, the bad, no one has the same heartbreak, the same devastation. And we work so hard to fight against the negative. Like it's all unique to us. So there's beauty in that suffering. There's beauty in the uniqueness of our individual human experience. I'm just marveled by it and in awe of it. People would like to follow more of what you teach tell them where they can find you and what material they they can uh, pick up from what you have already done and what you are doing yeah people can find me on linkedin uh at olivia vizacaro all of my original content starts there i'm also on instagram at the less stressed lawyer and if you want to learn more from me go i do a monthly learning series called less stress sessions They're the last day of the month, every month at noon Eastern standard time, uh, where I teach you all the heavy lifting coaching tools that I teach my clients. They're totally free. You can learn more and sign up for the email list for those sessions at less stressed sessions. A lot of S's there, less stressed sessions.com forward slash sign up. Thank you for coming through to our show, Olivia, uh, it was a, a, a great occasion to have the second half. Now we are coming to the close of the second half. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for, I knew it was going to be a wonderful conversation and I knew you were going to have all of your 
I knew you were going to bring your A game with your preparation and your quotes. And I learned from you as well. So thank you, my friend. Thank you. Have a good day.